through the Bitcoin podcast episode number 63. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number three, Corey. D's out uh, on vacation doing some, some stuff we don't know about. So he's... Right. But, um, go ahead, Cello. Uh, is this the first time it's just been you and me? Yeah, like I think so. Like a whole episode? I think this is the only time it's only been me and you. For this. Actually, this is the first time D's been absent from a roundtable, which we're not really having one uh, this episode. But, um, yeah, he's absent for both the roundtable and the interview. Wow. Well, I'm, I feel closer to you than ever before. Yeah, we both have snakes on our body, <laughs> and we're, we're slowly phasing D out of the system. <laughs> um, all right, so let's, uh, let's get down to business. Um, uh, our sponsor, of course, Escrow My Bits. We love them. We talk about them every week. Uh, we like them because they offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate, so no matter where you are in the world, you can use them. So that's awesome. You know, euros, yen. Canadian money, USD. Um, they offer Bitcoin escrow on a chain pegged to a fiat value using NuBits. And NuBits is the world's first stable digital currency. Um, they thought of everything. So your funds are kept in a secure two of three multi-signature transaction where they hold only one key and the rest are yours. Uh, escrow My Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around. Their goal it's pretty easy. Make using escrow as simple as possible. So go to their website, make sure you sign up for their newsletter, stay up to date. That's escrowmybits.com. Uh, now, <clears throat> our guests are making their third appearance on the show. You know and love them. Well, you used to. You used to love them. Uh, Lawnmower was a convert your spare change into Bitcoin app, which we've covered over the past year. And now Alex, Peter, and Patrick are finally getting ready to move beyond what they view as just the first iteration of their product. Now, some people are exclaiming that they've abandoned a business where they had zero competition to compete against others offering the same service. Well, guess what, haters? They're here to address those concerns and tell us about the new iteration. Life in New York City, because they moved, and uh, all that other good stuff. Yeah, they're they're moving. They're doing things. And we were, I was, it was a good conversation to have, and uh, they answered a lot of the questions or all the questions I had about why they made the transition and what they were thinking and what they're trying to do and so on and so forth. So it ended up being a really good interview, but it's long. So we're kind of just cutting out the roundtable this episode and just letting you listen to all that. Yeah. And um, I, I guess if, if we didn't cover anything in this interview and you still have questions, reach out to them at uh, support at lawnmower.io, and uh, they, they're, they're really good at getting back to you. But other than that, I guess we should just get into it. All right. Uh, I'll guess I'll take D's place and go, here it is. Hey, so we've got, we've got the guys from... Uh, lawnmower io back on the show just to hang out talk to us for a little bit i don't know if we'll even do a round table around this episode we'll just you know chat it up see how things have been it's been i think we said around seven months or so since we last spoke and uh that's more than a lifetime in the cryptocurrency community so let's uh let's, let's just hop into it what have, what have you guys what have you what have you guys been up to since the last time we talked uh, so seven months ago in November, we were <clears throat> living in San Francisco. Uh, at that time, we had a spare change into Bitcoin app. Since then, we kind of broadened it out, and now we're going for this most, more full-service, broad investment service for the whole blockchain asset space, which has continued to be exciting since then. Uh, 
Ethers obviously rallied like crazy. A bunch of cool new dApps and DAOs being built on top of it. Uh, we really just wanted to broaden out and go for uh, something a little a little wider. So in that, we uh, got into another accelerator program in New York City called uh, Startup Bootcamp Fintech. So uh, three of us sold all our crap in San Francisco, not that there was much in the first mm -hmm. place, and bought some one-way tickets out here. Now we uh, spent about two months in Manhattan, just moved to Brooklyn, and our office space is uh, like right next to the World Trade Center. So we're experiencing this brand new city, all these subways, cool restaurants, lots of stuff to do, meeting a bunch of finance and investment folk, which is kind of contrast to SF, which was more kind of tech-focused, and uh, yeah, just working on our product and, and living life, man. That's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty drastic change going from San Francisco to New York, and I mean, also, it's kind of a drastic change that you dropped the spare change aspect of lawnmower. What was the reasoning behind that? Uh, so doing that, I will say we really liked running that product. We thought it was really cool. Uh, things that we thought it was just kind of a little bit of a niche product. We thought it was cool because, you know, it had that familiarity aspect to your normal spending account. But uh, we're really all about kind of flexibility and stuff and spare change just really being driven off of your purchases we thought it was a little random we were paying a third party called plaid for the transaction data it was limited to the u.s only uh, a lot of time on customer support sometimes delayed transactions and uh you know just inherently we have our spare change multiplier but we're really trying to drive volume through our new platform and really trying to promote this as a big asset class that people are you know putting like hundreds to thousands of dollars into like mutual funds and stocks through their, you know, 401ks and traditional investments. So we just wanted to really flesh it out and make it more flexible and say, hey, you can now, you know, instantly buy $20, $100, $1,000 at once or set up kind of recurring purchases for, you know, 100 bucks and just much more fixed, much more flexible and less is just kind of what we thought of uh, as this kind of niche, cool, fun product. And now we kind of view it as more of a platform, if you will. <laughs> So you didn't think it was a, a viable business model to to keep the spare change kind of um, aspect to it? To, to make it a viable business model, we would have had to probably start charging users just direct for the core service, which we, we did not want to do. So uh, well, that makes sense. So yeah, you're in this uh, you're in this boot camp right now. Uh, is there any successful startups that have kind of been through that program that we would recognize? So the thing is with this boot camp is uh, they've done about 40 different cohorts or tribes or whatever you want to call it. Most of it, the whole program was started and launched in, in Western Europe. So a lot of it is in Europe, Asia, and where this program is really one of the first one in the States. So probably nothing you've heard of. It's also um, our class specifically is focused on fintech, but uh, they have a lot of like healthcare, ad tech, just a bunch of different programs across the world. So not really in this industry, not really in this geography. So not really any names that are super relevant that you'd probably recognize. So you so, can't like squeeze Pagey in there? Oh, oh. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like, I guess when I imagine, like I, I, I'm from Texas and, uh, dog, I'm from Texas and, dog. yeah. And when I think about the two cities between San Francisco and New York, I think about like central 
like the, the centralization of technology in San Francisco and hipster. And then when I think about New York, I think about money. So like hipsters versus guys in business suits. Is that pretty much what the differences of life is out there? You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. SF is all like we view it as very much like, all right, we launched in San Francisco. We made kind of like the tech connections we needed. And now we're moving to New York to kind of make these like finance and investment firm relationships. And it's pretty obvious when you walk down the street in San Francisco, like all the billboards are for like, you know, like SaaS products, all these random software things. Everyone's wearing like jeans and hoodies, the classic startup uniform. And here, you know, you're on the subway and everyone's wearing suits and briefcases and fancy shoes and sprinting to Wall Street to close their business deals. <laughs> How do you, which, which, uh, which environment do y'all prefer? Uh, maybe like the Florida environment, the, <laughs> <laughs> the billabong chilled out on the beach, but, uh, I don't know. It depends what you're, you, you're trying to do, I guess. You know, if you're, if you're trying to do business and meet a bunch of investors or talk to potential business partners or people to advertise for you in the media or whatever, then. You know, New York's the place to be. If you're trying to kind of chill out and hang out at the park for the day and, like, throw a Frisbee around or something, then you probably want to be in San Francisco. <laughs> it just depends what you're doing. <laughs> so, you, like, I guess speaking of trying to get big finances into, in, into Lawnmower and make it the real, like, central app for people investing into it, you're, you're working with Coinbase at the time, I guess, for the latest three-point updates and they were only BTC but what, what are y'all doing along as now that they've you know reintroduced themselves of GDAX and in, incremented uh, Ethereum and will increment will incorporate Litecoin is this is this part of your business plan to kind of increase all the cryptocurrencies or just or how does that work out for y'all yeah so our new kind of product and how we're framing it as this platform is like hey we don't we don't want to do just Bitcoin we think it's a whole kind of exciting asset class too I mean you have Ether that's obviously been in the headlines like crazy, and then some of these like the Dow raising 150 million. I mean, it's pretty obvious that you know it's not just Bitcoin anymore. This really is a big crypto revolution. We were trying to figure out how to really like you know put a bunch of different exchanges and wallets and partnerships in the background so we could end up offering these assets easier. And with Coinbase kind of expanding out and taking this stance, it's just you know they already are our partners, so. Uh, it, makes it a bit easier and uh, you know, easier to see how we could at least get some of these assets like Ether and some of these ones that they uh, vet early onto our platform quicker. So it, it's definitely helpful from an extent. I think it's cool. We are, we're obviously huge fans of, you know, besides Bitcoin as well. And uh, that excitement kind of took us by surprise. But, uh, I mean, we all love Coinbase and think it's super easy to use and a great service and love Ether too. So only good news when we heard that. With you, you guys uh, bought some ether yourself? Yeah, totally. I wish I'd bought as much as Patrick, though. He's been uh, living like a wealthy man lately. <laughs> <laughs> hey, went to New York, man. Gotta gotta play the part. <laughs> Corey, I heard that uh, what, last week you had a, a very painful was it was it ether like a trade that went? Oh bad? yeah, we've been we we amongst ourselves and a, and a few of our friends that aren't on the podcast, we made a little trading group. And one of some of my personal yeah. trades went fucking sour. <laughs> <laughs> That's just pretty much how trading goes. If you're if you're not very good at it, 
<laughs> so uh, what, what other assets have made it into your trading portfolio? What else are you flipping? Oh, nothing. I mean, I, I've been digging deep into the DAO, but only as a, as a means of like looking at the distribution of, of tokens and how the voting power has moved. Uh, in terms of like trading, just following the volatility of Bitcoin and Ether and trying to, you know, follow that closely enough, that's enough work for me. I have a, I have a full-time job and, uh, you know, a wife, so. <laughs> Must be rough. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Granted, it's in academia, so it's not, I wouldn't really call it a job. It's more of just go sit in an office and do the same thing I do at home. <laughs> So uh, how do you analyze the recent price run-up of Bitcoin? Is it really just this, you know, 90% new signups on like Huibi and OKCoin from this, you know, Chinese currency controls driving up the price? Is it is it any of the happening going on? Uh, know, what is, there, was, there was a lot of speculation before, I, I maybe about a month or two ago, of, of people talking about what's going to happen when the happening occurs and how Bitcoin's price is going to rise uh, increasingly as the happening happens and then afterwards you'll have you know who the who the hell knows but I'm not exactly sure how much how true that is or how much that's taken into account but I do know I do think that the devaluation of the Chinese what, yuan the Chinese currency <laughs> it, but, but on the government and since like, I view the Chinese culture as more of a hoarding culture and since they can't the things that they're hoarding can't hold their value because the, I guess what the value is pegged to is losing its its evaluation. They're throwing all their value into Bitcoin, and you've seen that just based on new accounts and and transaction volume in China. I think the price rise of the past week or two is basically just that, and then people taking severe profits off that. Yeah, how about just the fact that I mean, if you're either buying you know some of these non-bitcoin like ether or the dow i mean you have to pretty much go through bitcoin i mean you have to if you have dollars and you want ether or the dow you're probably buying bitcoin first and then ether or the dow and i would think a lot of these people buying ether in the dow that are looking to take their profits a lot of these guys are you know crypto guys they're going to cash out into bitcoin and probably leave it there and not even go all the way back to dollars Oh, that's definitely true, and I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of these ups and downs. Is you're seeing Bitcoin as the fundamental, like, stable, if you can call it stable, layer of of of, of value, and they move in and out of various cryptocurrencies, and then like keep what they trade in terms of like when they want to just hold in Bitcoin and then move in and out of other cryptocurrencies instead of just pegging it back to the U.S. dollar. And as time goes on and Bitcoin becomes more stable, they'll, they'll continue to do that. Totally. Bitcoin's becoming the reserve assets of the crypto space. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, I, I guess what it probably should be. I mean, it does a good job of being money. Yeah. And other cryptocurrencies can do a good job of being something else. Yeah, I mean, Corey, you can, you can speak upon, like, the low confidence in your country's currency like oh, real shit. isn't that Brazilian real is, is 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 awful <laughs> so i've been here for uh near sao paulo for about maybe over a year and a half about around a year and a half and my paycheck has probably lost about 40 percent of his purchasing power because of the devaluation of their currency it's just yeah, a year that's... and a half 
That's insane. I would assume pretty much every employer just pays it out pegged into the local currency, right? I mean, no one would. Yeah, I got. My, I, I'm paid by the government of Brazil, and I'm paid in as like uh, as a salary in reais, and that salary doesn't. I get maybe I think it's. I don't know, six percent increase every year, but that doesn't come near the uh, the problem with their inflation rate, just based on its 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 power relative to the U.S. dollar. It's gone from two point four to over two point four to rise to one dollar to over four rise to one dollar since I've been here, and it fluctuates around three point five to four. I mean, let's say you. Uh your currency gets devalued like 40% in a year, like you're saying, do you see any kind of local effects on that? Like does food get any cheaper during that or does nothing move and it's just- Oh man, you, you definitely feel a difference. It, and it's uh, wow. like what I'm able to buy um, changes drastically based on what the what the evaluation is. So <clears throat> let's see, especially when it comes to like imported goods because those are typically pegged to the US dollar. And so you'll see the transaction, like technology, gets in, it prohibitively expensive here because it's all imported. But you know, fruit still costs the same locally. Gotcha. Huh. Interesting. Uh, here's another question, kind of just going back to Bitcoin pricing. I mean, with this happening, do you think? I mean, seemingly a, a bunch of miners are going to have to go out of business, right? I mean, KNC miner. Uh, from Sweden just went out of business because they're just like, hey, our expenses are, you know, barely break even now and our revenue is about to get split in half through mining. Uh, you think that's going to, I mean, seemingly it'll like increase centralization if some of the lower players have to get out of the game. Uh, think that'll have any effect on the price or the scene in general? I, I definitely do, especially right at the end of the happening. So I think people underestimate the small profit margins that these large mining corporations have based on the upkeep because when you have like the larger it gets the more difficult it is to system admin and cool and so it, you know all these extra things that come into play and if you're a small miner you're not you you're not even coming close to the amount of hash power to really do anything so currently we have a large centralization of mining of these essentially just warehouses of of asics and that's I, mostly in China. I haven't looked at the data at all, but uh, are existing Bitcoin miners kind of, you know, mining Ether as well, or is it a totally different group? Or uh, you know anything about that? It's a totally different group because the the um, the proof of work algorithm of Ethereum is drastically different than Bitcoin. They use something I think it's called a eCash or eHash that's. Um, very memory intensive and is supposed to be ASIC ASIC resistant. So GPUs are still the main, as far as I remember, GPUs are still the main hashing power of most of the Ethereum network. But it's still really low in comparison to what Bitcoin security is. And that's all subject to change based on what Ethereum does when they, as they slowly shift towards proof of stake. Right. Yeah, but, that's still yet to be seen. That'll be really interesting. It's like, even though, like, so going back to the, the halvening, since the profit margins are so tight with current mining operations, when the happening happens, it's going to take a very large portion of the network off off network, which I'm curious to see what happens um, in the interim of this massive drop of hashing power and the um, 
recalculation of the difficulty because there's going to yeah. be a lag between this massive drop of hashing power and then the and then the network's automatic recalculation of difficulty. In that process, we're going to see incredibly long block times. That's I think. Yeah. Seemingly, you know, a lot of the miners like the like the KNC would kind of start to pull out early. I mean, it seems dumb to kind of if you know your profit margins are super tight to wait until the happening comes and then be like oh you know it's not like it's going to take you by surprise we all we all know what's going to happen but uh really the knc one's really the only headline i've read about any miners like shutting down operations yeah it also has to do with maybe there's a there's a kind of a lag and they're kind of waiting for the new technology the new um asics with uh, that like the die casting that like you know I think it's six nine millimeter twelve I forget nanometer the size of the transistor is reaching a a point uh, it's, you know a Moore's law and you can no longer make smaller transistors you have to make more in parallel you can't because you know based on the atomic size you only fit so many transistors in a certain cell right. and so that's re- that's coming to a certain head and then what happens is they have to increase the parallelization of the transistors as opposed to the number of transistors in a certain area. And since that's coming to a head, the the price of the maximum gets better and better and better, which means that China no longer has an advantage in buying the latest technology because with mining, it's essentially obsolete in every six months. So because of we're, I guess, approaching a transition of Moore's law this every six months turns into every three years so then new mining operations can come up and then actually make a profit for a long amount of time yeah so seemingly some new players could enter the scene that we haven't really even seen before yeah so I think there's going to be some type of massive centralization near near the happening and then it'll slowly start to decentralize after that which isn't a big deal assuming China's government doesn't just freak the fuck out and you know take down the whole thing because there's no telling what they can do i don't i don't know if china's going to invest in the new asic before the halvening though oh they they're they're essentially they get the new asics the moment they come off the shelf because they're right there next to manufacturing because all these things are manufactured right next in china i mean they have it but you know the miners know that they can't sell the same amount of bitcoins as they were doing after the halvening so i don't think they're going to buy it because they already they're already starting to sell less bitcoin yeah. i think they're holding just straight up it's it's a clusterfuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's going to be interesting to see but like what see what happens if you know we we end up getting increasingly long block times with bitcoin because the hash power drops off you know say we get half of the hash power we currently have which means we have 20-minute blocks or more, uh, or if not worse, because it's somewhat exponential, uh, then people who are in Bitcoin won't stay in Bitcoin. They'll just move all of their money to something else, such as Ethereum or Litecoin. And then that price will probably skyrocket, or at least bubble, in the meantime, until Bitcoin can readjust itself and become the stable network that it's been. So I think you'll see some really crazy price movement during the Bitcoin happening because the stability of Bitcoin is going to be a little shaken. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to die. It's just going to mean there's going to be an interim time period where it sucks in terms of usability for a little while. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? 
Uh, I mean, I think you're right. We've already seen a huge exodus. People in, on Bitcoin are just like on walking on needles. Everyone's so mm-hmm. mad about you know scaling the network so quickly, and Ethereum just comes up. And there's obviously been a huge exodus from Bitcoin to to Ether. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is a lot of you know huge Bitcoin maximalists are like, look, Bitcoin's the Bitcoin's the payment network. It's the currency. Ether's for smart contracts, and it's kind of like. Why? Why? Why is it? Why can Ether not be used for a payment network or currency as well? Are you going to say, you know, no merchants accept Ether? That's true, but barely any accept Bitcoin either. I mean, I can still send Ether to my friends. Uh, I, I don't know how much I buy that. You know, Ether is smart contracts only. Bitcoin is payments only, and there's really a huge distinction there. I don't know if that's super related, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. The only thing I would would say to that is that at least there is infrastructure set up in the countries around the world for converting fiat into Bitcoin. But it's not like like the 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 heavy part of that, the heavy lifting is like the regulatory side of of like the fiat angle. And like doing Ether instead of BTC is not like a crazy substitution for all of those like on ramps to, to convert to. I mean, you've already seen people like Coinbase. I mean, they recognize that. Ether's going to be something in general in digital assets. So, I mean, I mean, a lot of co- a lot of major exchanges have started to accept Ether. I mean, we got Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken. What is it? Bitstamp or Bitfinex? One of those. OK Coins rumored to add it soon. I mean, the on and off ramps are starting to develop in these countries. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, man. I don't. The whole Bitcoin versus Ether, especially in the short term. I mean, it's just so so shaky and people are so prone to move and all these developments on top of ether with these DAOs and dApps being developed it's like i don't know there could be a pretty major exodus uh, granted there kind of has been but uh it, it'll be interesting to see how it develops is that how you see it like bitcoin versus ether you don't see them kind of coexisting i think they can definitely coexist uh for sure i think um you know even with all this dramatized journalism though like it's, it's being framed that way by the media and normal people read the media so uh, uh, I think it's definitely being framed in that way somewhat I mean I think they can definitely coexist and serve their own purpose although like I was just saying I, I think the lines are still kind of blurry on what each purpose is, really is I mean there's a lot of projects that are trying to extend kind of Ethereum like capabilities onto Bitcoin which could be interesting but we're just at such an infancy state of all this I mean Maybe soon, you know, there'll be a huge push for merchants to start accepting Ether or maybe, you know, one of these Bitcoin sidechain projects will come up that's going to extend some Ethereum-like capabilities to Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin's kind of initial infrastructure and all the, you know, uh, growth around it initially will be more powerful. It's just we're like right on the cusp of really seeing it all. It's, it's kind of exciting and pretty unknown uh, I, I'm skeptical about anyone who is acting very confident that they can see anywhere into the future in this situation <laughs> yeah it's all all very speculative uh, for sure you, you, uh, have a, you have a hopeful integration with, with Shapeshift I read and like I said we, we can't perceive what's going to happen they ended up getting hacked um but they're back online. I think they're thriving. They're doing great. Are you guys still hopeful with this integration? Are you a little weary about teaming up with them? Um, are, are your guards up? Like, how's, how did this affect you guys? Um, I think they handled the hack pretty well. It was very limited. I think they designed the whole system 
with something like that in mind to, you know, only have, they don't even really have customer wallets at all. Only kind of their hot wallet barely got touched. You know, the blog post addressed that they were all, all back online in a few days. I think they did pretty well. Uh, I'm not skeptical about Shapeshift. It's just, we have, you know, several partnerships we've talked about. Shapeshift doesn't have a wallet service, which, you know, we would need to put another, uh, combine Shapeshift with another wallet provider if we were going to offer that out to our clients. We're just kind of doing vetting and talking to several exchanges and wallets and really figure out, you know, what's the best UX for our users? Uh, you know, how confident are we in the various players? Who's probably going to be adding these assets quickest? There's just kind of a lot of diligence that goes into it. But well, What uh, are you feeling? What are you feeling, like, top top two or three? Who's doing Who's doing well? Who are you guys uh, vibing with? I think there really, I think there really only is maybe three that even offer full. I mean, if you're talking about a full range of blockchain assets, you really have Shapeshift who has like 20 plus assets but no wallet. You have Kraken who maybe has five to ten. They're very well funded, very respected. I like them a lot. Uh, then you have you know Poloniex, which is a little more of a technical exchange, but does have at least somewhat. I mean, you can hold funds there. Uh, you got Bitrex. Uh, and then other than that, I mean, Gemini only does Bitcoin and Ether. Coinbase does that now. You know, Bitfinex only does Bitcoin, Ether, maybe Litecoin, which is not that much more. So really, if you're looking at people that can provide you that full suite, it really is like Shapeshift, Poloniex, Bitrex, and Kraken to some extent. Yeah, we had, uh, we had Kraken on, uh, I think two weeks ago. Jesse Powell came on and said that he was not going to get into Ethereum and mess with the DAO and then... We released the episode four days later. He he said he's taking Ethereum now. So I mean, the pressure's there. The DAO tokens that was the main one. He's like, ah, yeah, the DAO tokens. Yeah, we're doing the DAO. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, it plays into it plays into the cryptocurrency community in that if if you have a company that is based on cryptocurrency, you automatically have to be able to pivot on like immediately. Because the the space changes so quickly, and if you can't adapt, then you're just going to die. Yeah, you got to be so agile, man. I mean, this scene is going to look nothing like it does right now in like a year. You know, if you're really just trying to be an exchange and facilitate trading on these new assets, I mean, you're really looking at like, does it exceed some sort of market cap? And then really, it's just volume. And any exchange, I mean, if you look at Poloniex and Ether, they were probably taking like eighty percent of market share of the Bitcoin to Ether trading. No one else had that. I mean, as an exchange, when you, that's how you generate revenue. You got to sit there for half a second and be like, wow, you know, this isn't a huge change to our infrastructure to facilitate trade between another asset. It's already crypto, which is basically our mission statement. Why not? You know? Yeah. As an exchange, it seems like a no brainer. I totally agree. This is, well, this is also kind of, I mean, this is a, I guess, not to get too deep here, but somewhat of a, an idea I've been playing with or, or trying to wrap my head around is that crypto is a, in, like, generally, it's a generalization of, of value transfer. Uh, and, and amongst other things, I mean, Ethereum is even doing more than that with smart contracts. It's, it's value transfer with a set of rules, and Bitcoin's trying to implement this as well. And so whenever you transcend archetypes of, of previous ages, you still only have the archetypes to try and to describe them with. Like, for instance, people always try and say, 
Bitcoin is gold and Ethereum is like oil. And their use cases are surrounded by that. But since both of these types of things transcend both what gold does and what oil does, they're really bad analogies. And you can't like pigeonhole them to that. So it's going to be interesting to see what we as humans come up with when we're able to kind of get past these old archetypes of how we describe things. I, I totally agree. And, you know, it makes sense when you're trying to kind of market to the mass public to really look for these analogies because, you know, they can be helpful to some extent, but you're almost really doing these assets a total disservice when, I mean, gold to oil, like, that is so rough. I, <laughs> I, I, what do you yeah. do? You have to, you have to, when you, and especially with someone who's in a position like yourselves, you have to market to a general audience and you have to use some type of analogy to let them latch on. But how do you do that but still let them know that it's so much more? Exactly. And, I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, you start to write a quote-unquote summary and, like, all of a sudden you're at three pages of text and half of it is super technical. So, you know, your average guy that's just like, tell me what ether is, is not – they can't handle that. And then you start comparing <laughs> it to how it's different than Bitcoin, which they hardly understand in the first place. It's just – it's a whole new world, man. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet from Andreas the other day that was like, I think it was tweeting out generally to the general, like talking about the general public is like, you know, I was just recently on talking about these complicated things such as Ethereum and now the DAO exists. So I have this complicated thing that's never been done before, which I need to put on top of the other complicated thing that you already don't understand. Yep. <laughs> and, and then you have a a few early adopters like what were we reading yesterday someone else was like yeah you know mastercoin was already the first dow or and people are just like holy crap no one even yeah dash was the first dow it's just like jesus man like you're just gonna lose so many people when you start trying to do stuff like that it's unreal (laughs) It's, it's so much of it has to do with you know marketing to be honest and really being able to concisely talk about what you're making and what the advantages are and when you start comparing it to other things that people have rocky foundations on it just becomes you know the nature of crypto is so complex and I, you know people have been saying it forever like crypto has a branding problem it's bad marketing but I mean it yeah it's still very much like that I mean the DAO is the DAO is insanity and you know that it's it's just mind-blowing it's cool to watch it just so much more needs to be done on education is still well you definitely have and, uh, go ahead Coachella well he was talking about branding and I, I kind of as a as a UI designer I, I kind of went to peek into why they kind of changed their logo and, and why they rebrand I know you 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 changed the uh, uh, the full service platform but you went with a new logo change and and, and kind of changed the UI and the platform uh, how did you guys come up with your logo and uh, how's it been serving you so far uh, yeah, so when we were doing this big kind of update of what our product really was going from spare change to this more quote-unquote full-service kind of investment platform, Patrick and right. Peter were very adamant that they did not like our old logo since it was really just basically like a stock image of a lawnmower. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was like clip art. <laughs> I thought it was cool, but our new one is just a – a bunch of iterations of Photoshop just we started as kind of like you know let's do a kind of market looking 
bar chart of like a, a stock type line going up and down and then kind of just basically manipulated it a bunch of times, made one of them purple, turned the corners like pointing up, of course, because we all know crypto is going to the moon and uh, just looks a little more like mainstream finance to us as we're like, look, we're trying to get normal people that probably are familiar with like trading stocks and bonds and some of these more traditional finance apps like let's let's make it more appealing to the masses like we say we're going to as we're saying you know bitcoin's just another bitcoin and crypto is just another asset class to go along with your portfolio of other stocks and bonds and it's like all right let's just let's just try and make this as approachable and you know familiar as possible in our app we obviously use a lot of ui elements from like existing finance apps and we really want like before a lot of our spare change into bitcoin was like all right, we'll, you know, do the spare change. We'll do the spending thing. We want to really capitalize on having like some familiar aspect to people so we can mesh that with Bitcoin. And then at least they can be like, okay, I, I kind of understand half of this. And that's kind of like the logo design as well. It's just to us, it seemed more, more mainstream approachable, more understandable of, okay, wow, this is like a finance app. It, the value moves like normal stocks. Right. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I thought guys- it was a lot more blades. I knew it was deeper than that. That's kind of what. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you guys are essentially a an analytics company. That's what you offer in Lawnmower, is is a, a way to invest in Bitcoin and soon to be other other assets, but a nice, easy, easily approachable, um, detailed analytics page that says how what you've done so far is doing which is very difficult to find right now and but what also people who are investing want to see am i am i right about that yeah totally it's all about you know analytics and really just the smoothness and easiness of you know onboarding and starting to trade these without you know dealing with some candlestick charts or generating you know wallets from 12 different services and then depositing bitcoin onto one exchange to trade ether we're just really trying to put it all in one place, make it super easy, show you some simplified stats, and then start to put in like some more like educational and like research about these assets. So you can just come in, learn about what's going on, see it quoted and displayed in a way that you're familiar with, and just kind of manage all your crypto investing in one place with an app that looks familiar to you. I mean, the existing crypto space is just so fragmented, so technical and intimidating to people, and kind of like our broad mission statement no matter how we kind of iterate slightly in the you know short term is really just like let's simplify down blockchain assets and how to actually invest in them as a normal person have you thought about maybe expanding it more into being able to add different different wallet addresses or you know hd wallet addresses into into coin into sorry into lawnmower so that the analytics can take care of those as well um, stuff like that. I mean, we definitely think about a lot of this stuff. We really, when we design our app, try and think from the perspective of a brand new user who literally reads the word blockchain in the Wall Street Journal and wants to get some exposure. So if uh, we started telling them about HD wallets, they wouldn't even know what that means. Yeah. But uh, definitely stuff we thought about, but probably not highest priority, to be honest. I mean, ultimately, with like, – yeah, there's, there's so the, – the, it's expansive on what you can learn and what you can do with cryptocurrency. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, no one really gives a shit. They only care about what they're able to do that they weren't able to do in the past. 
And so if you're able to provide that, then you're going to succeed. So I guess what you're providing is an analytics platform with a very easy to address, I guess, investment platform as well. Yeah, exactly. All right. Trying to get where you where, where, where oh. you guys live in the space now, because I used your app strictly for the the spare change, until my wife told me to stop because we make too many purchases. <laughs> <laughs> but and and now I want to see why I want to download your app, and it's because it's you can if, if you want to just make reoccurring payments and not have to worry about things, it's very easy, and then you can take a look at how that investment is doing very easily as well. Totally. Yeah, that's definitely the value add from an existing Bitcoin user. And, uh, you know, we really want to try to make this product as, you know, mass market as possible. So the real value add for those people is just, you know, this is simplified like crazy if you don't even know what Bitcoin is. You know, if you, you do know what Bitcoin is and you want, you know, to use some multi-sig HD wallet, uh, you know, you obviously are much more aware of the existing wallet and exchange choices than, you know, do as you will and I'm never going to tell you that you know ours is the optimal place to hold your Bitcoin or anything but really just as we're approaching the general public it's like you know let's just make this as streamlined and easy as possible so they can just have Bitcoin see what's going on watch the market and you know learn a little bit um, just as, as fast as possible without overwhelming them with like hey do you want to do you want this wallet that you're creating to be multi-sig they're like well i don't even know what a wallet is <laughs> <laughs> so i guess like the the ultimate goal of lawnmower is this conversation to happen hey uh, i know you know about bitcoin how do i start using it oh that's clear just get the lawnmower app and they'll walk you through it and about, and about a month come talk to me and we'll discuss more <laughs> yeah exactly or you read like R3 raises $200 million for their private blockchain. And you're like, uh, blockchain, that sounds cool. I can't buy a private blockchain. I want exposure to this scene. How do I do it? Oh, Lawnmower's tagline is like, blockchain investing simplified. Let me go here. Let me read their research, link my normal bank. Oh, wow, I can buy all these kind of public blockchains. This is, this is really cool. Now I feel like I have some exposure to the, to the general scene. And that was, that was really easy. So it's like taking someone who's never heard of it or just has this spark of curiosity that would kind of in the existing space just get totally overwhelmed and just really giving them like the easiest on-ramp into it as possible. Right on. That's definitely so necessary. The, and uh, the people that I guess love the spare change aspect and then when you guys switch gears and they were disappointed by the change in direction and they deleted the app, uh, are you trying to get those users back? Like, I guess how how do you approach that situation if if we're talking like damage control or do do you have anything to say to the those people how to get them back or maybe there's something they don't understand about the I guess the full circle of things? Yeah, you know, taking that out was really hard and we got a bunch of like one star reviews and just people who won't even like listen to our, you know, defense for it. But I mean, really if you're if you're kind of abstracting away what spare change is, it's this really passive way to invest over time which is almost exactly what a recurring purchase is you know it doesn't really need to be linked to your spending that's just kind of a cool quirky thing but i mean essentially the outcome of spare change investing is you know every few weeks you have a, a transaction of like twenty dollars going to bitcoin and that's cool because it manages the volatility you buy no matter what if you set up a twenty dollar recurring deposit every week on our app the outcome's pretty much going to be the same thing but you know if you really 
want to feel that you know what you buy on your credit card is directly linked to your Bitcoin investing, then it you know that's that's tough, and that was a business decision, and you know we we cry over that, but uh, yeah, we just continue to try and market to them, hope that in the future our app can be you know cool enough to get them back for like a different product that that they just enjoy, and just that you know hey, recurring purchase is very similar to spare change, but. Is and, what it is, and we knew like going into the office saying it was a hard decision, and we knew that people were disappointed, and we felt bad about it. But at the same time, after like many conversations, just like the ultimate vision is just to bring crypto to as many people as possible, and by making this change, we just felt like that was a way better way. Of doing it. So. I mean, that's honestly why we we wanted to bring you on the show is because we wanted people to make sure you had zero regrets in the change that you did and then you have you still have 100% confidence in Lawnmower and its capabilities and I, I want people to know that um, uh, like a product is only going to succeed if the people behind it are confident in the product and you guys I think are as solid as ever before so I, I want people to know that and I want people to download it and, and use it thanks and we, we love all of our users even the ones that hate us <laughs> <laughs> well you need yeah. haters <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, we're we're as we're as confident and you know strong as ever, and really confident in our future vision. And uh, yeah, those those one stars hurt to see come in. And you know, we we like the spare change product too, but uh, we just have a much bigger vision in mind now. And really, it it becomes a lot cleaner to approach it like this. You know, as we start wanting to add a bunch of different assets and a bunch of custom ways to look at stuff, if we're limited by you know, hey, you only had three cents from that purchase. Allocating this is going to be wild and not that flexible. This this just seemed like a seemed like a much broader, better, more flexible move. And we, yeah, we're extremely confident in it. And we think our new app is really killer. And especially as we start to expand out these assets and push more updates, yeah, encourage everyone to check it out and let us know what you think. And you know, soon, you know, hopefully. Yeah, the spare change was just a little a little quirk, but it the new you, app it, it definitely got your foot in the door of of the app space. And like so, but now that it, it's it's kind of you're past it, and you're moving on to something a little more broad in general. What what's the future of like? How do you see the space, and how do you see your app in the space? I think just there's the blockchain asset space is about to explode. I mean, you can just with these DAOs and DApps being built upon Ethereum, I mean, I think that's going to become a major trend. I think basically new startups are going to be built upon Ethereum, so it's like the next wave of almost getting in on, you know, small startup equity. I think, you know, new companies are going to be formed on top of Ethereum, which are going to be easier than ever to invest into. Traditional assets like your gold and stocks and bonds are going to start to have crypto equivalents. And we just want to evolve our portfolios and asset offerings, you know, as quickly as possible. Be the first ones to offer them on our platform and really, like, put out good research and education materials about it and simplify the hell out of it and just really stay, like, on the cusp of offering these brand new assets. Because, I mean, we think the space is about to explode, not just market cap of the existing ones, but we think there's about to be a bunch of new crypto projects and we just want to give people the easiest way to get into them. So you guys definitely see a healthy ecosystem of, of cryptocurrencies and not, I mean, I guess the, uh, the standard phrase that everyone seems to use is one blockchain to rule them all. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys like the, like the interplay of multiple blockchains. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even really like the phrase cryptocurrency because currency is a little, yeah. little limiting. You know, some of these DAOs and DAPs are more like more like equity or just broad assets. I like to use the word in general. I mean, the currency aspect is, you know, not that clear when you're looking at a platform like, say, Augur, for example, where it's really like you're almost owning like a piece of equity and then Augur's going to do this you know, decentralized betting platform and take a small trading fee on every bet that goes on the platform. And that, you know, small percent is going to be distributed out to the equity holders, kind of like traditional dividends. I mean, I would not classify Augur Rep as a currency whatsoever. And uh, I think that's how crypto is going to evolve. There's just going to be a bunch of new projects, assets, currencies, all these things, but just the crypto infrastructure is here to stay. I mean, you have, you know, 24 seven, Markets you can send any of them across the world that just doesn't exist today, and traditional assets are going to move towards that infrastructure, and new ones are going to be created on it. So I think the space is just hella exciting, and we want to just stay on the cusp of it. Well, that's that's kind of a like you you just tapped back into that same point we made earlier, and that the even the nomenclature we use for all of these things is bad and doesn't quite capture what these things actually are. With even with the term cryptocurrency, which is I guess our blanket statement for all of these things doesn't capture the generalization of what these things actually are. So how do how do we move forward from that? Do you see the names changing, or or are we stuck with it? Are we, do we need to rebrand? Yeah, I think people are rebranding. It's interesting to watch people rebrand. I mean, Coinbase Exchange just did this global digital asset exchange. I think Shapeshift uses the term digital asset as well. I think cryptocurrency is definitely on the way out just because you are pigeonholed to then start comparing it to, you know, a a normal sovereign currency. And then people bring up this gold thing and that doesn't, you know, some people might classify gold as a currency, but that's just another piece of bad branding. It just needs to broaden out and you're about to see almost like, you know, sub asset classes within this kind of, we've been using the phrase blockchain asset class, but that's just because uh, I think, you know, blockchain is obviously like the the godfather of all this kind of innovation. It all stemmed from that kind of tech innovation. But and digital asset just to me kind of conveys almost like like isn't my, you know, Chase balance kind of like a digital asset? Isn't my PayPal balance kind of like that? I, I like the word blockchain, but uh, I think at a minimum, we're definitely going to see people rebranding to these more broad, broad, more meta statements about you know digital asset blockchain asset and away from like you know cryptocurrency in my opinion not us right Corey? no <laughs> I, I i think about this stuff constantly <laughs> actually we actually already bought the uh uh the blockchain podcast uh domain and which redirects to our normal website so these like how we move forward as things go on is, is definitely on our mind and the, the people who seem to be in the game deep on their minds as well. Yeah, I mean, this is what we do and read, and this is our life all day, every day, man. It's amazing to watch it evolve. And I mean, you know, cryptocurrency was a decent word for a while, but now just uh, there was Bitcoin only, and now there's literally like 600 other assets. It's, it's just, it moves so fast. You just got to continue to evolve with the space, right? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I I I think we could talk about this for hours, but unfortunately, I don't I don't want to make our listeners sit there and listen to a three hour <laughs> podcast. So we might have to wrap it up. Yeah, don't let seven months pass by before coming back. 
Yo, we'll be uh, you know, episode twentieth repeat. We'll, we'll hook up lawnmower whenever you want. We'll be on every other episode if you want us to. <laughs> Love it. Just just be a normal part of our roundtable. We can just bullshit and chat. <laughs> and uh, Alex, I'm reading all your stuff, man. If you think no one's reading it, I'm reading it. I read your Medium, all the stuff on LinkedIn. It's good stuff. You're the man. I got one reader. Hell yeah. Start <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Do you want to you wanna plug yourself for anything? Anything you want to try and get people to listen to, read, blog about? Just check out Lawnmower.io and keep checking it out. We're moving fast. So is the space. We're trying to move with it. And uh, yeah, let us, let us know what you think. Watch out. You know. Show us some love. Always appreciated. We love all our users and anyone who likes Bitcoin or blockchain at all because we think it's sick as hell. Yeah, I mean, if, if the lawnmower is probably a lot like us, and we love it when our listeners and users and so on and so forth talk to us and give us feedback. So take a little bit of time out of your day. Send them an email. Send them a chat. Send a message. Send something. We want to hear from you. Yeah. And I want to say, like, the, we have a lot of people on our podcast that are, like, 45 and 55, and they're, like, awesome. Like, like Alex, Peter, and uh, just everyone in the incubator are, I think, like, the next rulers of the nation. I think you guys are, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, because I'm only 31, and I feel like my time has passed. I know it's stupid. <laughs> I, just, I just think that you guys are awesome. I can't say it enough. Thanks, man. We appreciate that. We feel the love from the photoshops you guys give us. Oh, my God. Those album art covers. <laughs> That's why I went to college. We're going to frame those on our wall, man. That's amazing. <laughs> right on. Well, all right, guys. Uh, thanks for talking to us. Thanks for coming on the show. Once again, we'll be hearing from you real soon. Yeah, keep in touch, boys. All right, guys. Later.
Mama, what?